Hypebeast Radio. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. This week's guest on the show isn't your typical hype beast. In fact, some might say the brand he started is actually the polar opposite to what a hype beast represents. But I don't do this show to only talk to one demographic. This is the business of hype. And what I want to do on this show is talk with individuals who have built brands and companies that people love. And not only love, but maybe even worship. This week's guest has accomplished that in record time. He's built a massive business with extreme loyalists around his product in a category that is notoriously impossible to crack. Tim Brown is the co-founder and CEO of a brand called Allbirds, a company that's only five years old with over 500 employees, 17 retail stores international, and is now valued at over $1.4 billion. And not to mention, this is all birthed from one perfectly sustainable shoe. Now, if you don't know what Allbirds is, there's a high chance you've seen this brand without even realizing what it was. And as cliche as it sounds, if you had a dollar for every time you've seen these shoes on someone's foot, you'd probably have enough money to retire by now. You might have even seen their ads heralded as the world's most comfortable shoe. But this is no Nike, Adidas, or Under Armour. This is a product that is changing the narrative of how footwear can be made. It's a product that took Mr. Brown hundreds of iterations, fighting through thousands of naysayers and grinding through years to perfect. From a single shoe, a complex material, and a relentless determination birthed an idea that turned this former professional soccer player and World Cup athlete into creating what is now a billion dollar footwear brand. This week, we dive into Tim Brown's story and why for him, no product is good product unless it is sustainable. Let's get into this week's show. Well, thanks a lot for for jetting down here, literally. Um, You're based in SF, correct? That's correct, yeah. But we're doing this in Los Angeles. Down for the day. Yep, for the hour, and then you're just right back to SF. Yeah, two little kids at the moment. We've got to stay close to home, but it's uh, thank you for having us. It's great yeah, to be course. here. Um, so tell me, before we get too far into it, introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do. Uh, I'm Tim Brown. Uh, I'm a New Zealander and the co-founder uh, and co-CEO of Allbirds, a uh, footwear brand based in San Francisco. Nice. How long has Allbirds been around? You know, that's a complicated question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, to, I, to the outsider, it, it feels like a new brand. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess to the to to, to, to for me, this is uh, something I, I probably started working on the better part of a decade ago. Okay, uh, two thousand and seven. I was back in New Zealand. I was uh, I was playing playing soccer, and this was an idea um, that didn't have a name. Um, it was, and uh, and I started working on it. And fast forward to two thousand and fifteen is is really when Allbirds as a business was founded. So it's been a, it's been a long time. Okay. Um, 
let's touch a little bit on the fact that, and by the way, thank you for using the word soccer so that we understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So you played soccer, but you didn't just like play soccer. Like you played soccer. <laughs> Describe that a little bit. Yeah. So, so grew up in New, Ze- uh, New Zealand, uh, the home of rugby and cricket, but fell in love with, with football uh, and uh, ended up coming to America on a soccer scholarship mm-hmm. when I was 18 at the University of Cincinnati and uh, played there for for four years and then from there was able to, to forge a bit of a professional career for a better part of a decade mm-hmm. and uh, playing professionally uh, in the A-League in Australia and um, and for my country as well. Nice. And captain of the team. For a period, yeah, for a period of time and <laughs> we were part of a quite a special New Zealand team that went to the World Cup in 2010. Uh-huh. What um, was the name of the team? Well, the All Whites is the, is All Whites. the, yeah, is the, is the New Zealand um, national team and it was the second time we've been to the World Cup since 1982 and it was, it was, it was a big deal. So that was a special one to be a part of. And you played in the World Cup? I uh, played in the World Cup and then uh, realized it was never getting any better and re- promptly retired. Really? Right after? Pretty close to it. I did one more year uh-huh. uh, and I was 31, but it was, it was the right time to kind of move on to something 31 else. 31 is pretty much... Yeah, yeah I was pretty old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it was it was a it was a great run, and, and uh, we we were we were undefeated at that World Cup. Mm-hmm. Played Italy, Slovakia, Paraguay. Uh, didn't get out of our group, but didn't lose any games. Uh-huh. And uh, and it was a very very special experience. Wow. Okay. First World Cupper on the on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. What was your sort of like footwear sneaker game back then? Were you already like super into sneakers? No, no, I wasn't, and and um, and, you know, but I was, I was a sponsored athlete, right? So, so with with Nike for a long time, and and that was a big deal. Nike and, sponsored the All Whites. Uh, they sponsored the the All Whites, yeah, for a period of time, okay. but then also individual athletes. Okay, so you were sponsored by Nike. Yeah, okay. and that was um, I mean, I can still remember the moment that I got that phone call. Mm-hmm. I can still remember the name of the guy from Nike. Wow, Clark Clark Todd. And it was like, it was a little milestone, you know, mm-hmm, because it was sure. like, hey, you know, not only have you made it to, to play at this level, but you're also, they're, they're going to look after you um, personally. And so that became a big part of, of my identity, that, you know, that brand, that clothes that I was wearing, I was, I was you know, it was, uh, it was something that um, I did for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's funny, even as a designer, that email from Nike where they're like, we want to work with you is a milestone. It's, it's a epic. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. Okay. So you're on your way to retirement and you said 2010 is when you started to think about it. Yeah. Um, um, I, pl- I played for, for, um, a, a team in New Zealand that plays in the Australian league called mm-hmm. Wellington Phoenix and, um, professional sport was, was a dream. It was, it was, it was a privilege. Yeah. It was something that I'd worked my entire life, uh, often being told that I couldn't do it, and so to achieve it was was something really, really special. And then on top of my professional, my professional club was this thing that was happening with New Zealand that was really, really special. And so it was it was all good, but I I was kind of restless, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to spend my afternoons playing PlayStation and yeah. and hanging out. So I'd always wanted to create something. Mm-hmm. I'd gone to Cincinnati to play soccer, but also to study design. They had this incredible oh, design okay. school. So I I started playing around with lots of different ideas, uh-huh. and so. I'm in the thick of sport, like it's it's got just about everything I have, but this this idea, this creative project, you know, started to sort of turn towards footwear and yeah. shoes, and it was nothing more than than expression of creativity, really, to be honest. But it's right, and like an art hobby at the time. It was a little bit of a hobby, and I, I kind of you know my teammates made fun of me uh-huh. for it, and uh, I didn't really, you know there was no business strategy or plan, but I started to get enormously curious about the space, mm-hmm. and. You know, while the Nike stuff was amazing, and I got more f- free gear than I knew what to do with, yeah, it, it was it wasn't 
always everything that I wanted. And okay. So there was kind of like an itch to scratch there, and I started started scratching it when I was still playing and had no reason, you know, no real understanding of where it might take me. Yeah. Not to digress too much on this, but like I notice a lot of um, professional athletes who get to be like in the later years of their career, and I think you start to really worry or think about like, is this the end of my chapter of life? Like, is there a new chapter? Because you spend so much time and energy dedicated to being the professional athlete. When that book closes, there's a lot of time. As you said, there's like a lot of time left now. Like, what do I do now, right? For the rest of my 50 years on earth. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that that's true. I mean, I think there's there's even an, a, a, another step, which is like the grind. You can never take for granted playing sport at that level, but there is a grind to it. Yeah. And like a mental mm-hmm. sort of struggle that, you know, I, I mean, I think everyone goes through, and it brings a lot of perks and privileges. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tough parts of it too. And so, this was a release a little bit for me. Yeah. But I always had one eye on, on on the end of it. Okay. Um, and 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 I felt I prepared. I you know I was lucky. I had a university degree mm-hmm. in the A League in Australia. I think there was probably two of this entire league. That so, had a university degree. Yeah. I mean, it was just <laughs> it just it's not. They've been playing football their entire life. And yeah. Even when I retired, and I retired and went off to business school to go again and educate myself again. Oh, you did. Yeah. Which is why I retired. I went to London um, and took this idea was a part of it. Uh, and even then, it was a struggle, man. I was ten years behind everyone else who had mm. been working, building their career, and I was, you know, I was thirty-two, thirty-three, and I'd never really worked a day in my life. Yeah. So you know that 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 struggle is real. Yeah. You know, I think. All right. So take us back to you know you're still playing. You said, and you're starting to think about this hobby. What was there, there's many elements to creating a brand or a, particularly a shoe brand, but like there's the name, there's the look of the shoe, there's the sustainability element, which we'll get into. What was the first thing that popped into your head? The first, the starting point was was just the design okay. space, and it was the idea of simplicity. And you know, I, I mean, I think I'd grown up as a kid, sort of given a, like a Lacoste polo and like picking the crocodile off it. And oh, like, okay. I just have, gotcha. I don't that know why, I don't know volumes. quite know why. Uh-huh. I maybe got it from my my dad, but that was sort of this design aesthetic of sort of nothing and. You know, in New Zealand, the, there really wasn't a lot of options in that. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of common projects was sort of one brand that had started to infiltrate. Yeah. And then I, obviously I was kind of day-to-day, you know, surrounded by uh, Nike and the sportswear brands mm-hmm. that were, you know, had, had dominated the space and it was very hard to find simple. Yeah. You must be a Muji fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> It's yeah. like brand by no brand. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I started, I was studying architecture, you know, right out of university before I went to Cincinnati. I did a little bit of time there. And, and so it was it was all about form and function mm-hmm. and the simplicity. And so the question was sort of, you know, if you can't find it, could you create it? Uh-huh. And if you were only ever going to make one shoe, what would it look like? Okay. And that was what. Those are massive sort of, design challenges. In, in hindsight, <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just, it was just curiosity at play. So, so. you, t- so you're telling your, your like friends, families, and bros that like I'm starting a sneaker brand. No, I don't. I don't tell. I don't tell anyone that I, that I'm starting a sneaker brand. I, I just go and start doing it. Okay. And so I, I find a footwear factory in Indonesia, actually, mm-hmm. and I go on my off-season uh, with some literally sketches on a piece of paper and, and start, you know, start making, um, making this first Samples. shoe. Yeah. Wow. Ordered a, a thousand pairs and came back and put them in my bedroom and started selling them to my teammates. 
Out of curiosity, though, how come Indonesia? Why not go to China, where almost all shoes are made? Uh, you know, the, again, there wasn't a lot of logical thought. It was, <laughs> um, it was what Google was telling me at the time, and and it, it was literally cold emails out to the to the internet, mm-hmm. and that was the first one that and came back. And whoever would reply, basically, yeah. And if I could sync it with a place that maybe I could I could go and visit on my holidays as well, that would uh-huh. be all good. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a lot of like it was. All I wanted to do was just put myself in a position where I could test this idea. Mm-hmm. So you bring sketches. How was the, uh, let's call it prototyping, right? Like you you show them a sketch. You're not a technical designer, right? You weren't giving them tech packs and CADs. No, I mean, I, I still barely know what that actually is. <laughs> okay, I'll show you later. But <laughs> but yeah, no. so you're giving them sketches and then they're throwing you back a sample, right? Yeah, I mean, literally. And it's happening over like FedEx, and mm-hmm. I'm um, re- realizing pretty quickly I'm out of my depth. But there's a, there's another step before that, which is like I walked into my first footwear factory. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's that's like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I know you you've been there because you're nodding. It's like it's like going back in time. Yeah. And I've subsequently realized that like I was asking really simple questions, like mm-hmm. you know what is this made out of? You know what what size? You know how do we think about sizes? Like really basic questions, and you realize that like. There's just entrenched ways of doing things. Yeah. It's heavily manual. It's cheap. It's based on cheap labor. And mm. it's just not a very nice process from start to finish. Right. It's totally, I would say, medieval is the word. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so I'm sitting there. And, uh-huh. and at the time, you're going, hey, well, this question's pretty simple. Why can no one answer it? And I've subsequently come to believe that that, that was, it's actually a, my innovation alarm going off. Mm-hmm. You know, like no one could give me a simple answer to a so simple question. So there is an answer somewhere. I'm yeah, yeah. And, 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 and actually like this is going to drive me. And at the time you think, oh my gosh, I'm stupid. But actually you look back on it and you go, I was, I was asking exactly the right question. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyway, so the, the samples come back and I realized pretty quickly I'm out of my depth and I need to get some real design help. Okay, so now that requires investment. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of this. We're talking like very small amounts of money that I'm, I'm sort of self-funding, and I was, I mean, I did that for many, many years. So that wasn't, it, it was, um, this was a uh, entertainment in some ways. Yeah, you know, it was, right. it's, you're not thinking about it in terms of a business. Mm-hmm. It's like play money at this point. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, but I, I go back and I, there's a design school in Wellington where I was playing, and I, I got to know the guy that leading it, and I said, who's the best designer in New Zealand? Because I've got this this creative project, I think there's something to it, and I need some help. Mm-hmm. And could you give me a name? Mm-hmm. Is that person still with you? No, this, this is the <laughs> joke. So he gave me a name, and I got in touch with uh, that guy, and he never got back to me. So I went back to him for another name, and and that guy did get in touch. Ah, okay. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie McClellan, and and uh, he'll hate me for telling that story, but he's now in San Francisco. He's a head of design, remarkable guy. But I was, I made, and he's from New Zealand. He's from New Zealand. He's stuck. I mean, the, really, the first person I met on this journey. But I always. Go, go past the desk and I'm, man imagine if we got that number one guy where we'd be yeah right <laughs> totally he hates it but anyway it's all good <laughs> one thing if you are a fan of all birds is that there's a big sustainability point of reference to this was that ingrained right from the beginning or it came a little bit later no i mean it, the the idea of materials and and what shoes are made out of was 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 kind of from that very first visit to the factory and it was like well, what are we what are we going to do everything is is you know there's a, there's a what I would call like a low cost mentality. We're going to make everything as cheap as possible out of the cheapest possible, you know, materials. And so very early early on, the idea of using different materials and ultimately that took us to wool in the first place, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was, was an idea, but I hadn't yet connected the idea that that use of materials was also connected to a larger environmental purpose. That would take seven or eight years Mm -hmm. and finding my co-founder in San Francisco, Joey, before I worked that out. 
I could imagine factory people being like, oh, no, 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 you can't use that. No, 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 don't do that. Like, don't do it that way. Yeah. Like, just kind of just nudging you into the old way that they know how to do it. And, and you know what? That's so interesting you say that. And for anyone who's, who's like thinking about starting an idea, there's mm-hmm. two ways to go with that. You can give up or you can actually see that as validation for your idea, you know? Yeah. And, and like for me, it was always like, oh, okay, well, unless you can give me a, a good answer, why not? I'm going to go do it anyway, just mm-hmm. to prove you wrong. And that's, it's, it's maybe the, the little, uh, and there was a series of moments like that right through those seven or eight years, just where you just, I disagree and I'm, I'm going to go prove you wrong. Right. It's awesome. Uh, when you were getting those early samples made, was the brand Allbirds already? No, it had a different name that was sort of some variation of, um, I think the name was 2B, which is some v- variation of like my initials and it was pretty bad. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it, it wasn't really about that. It was about the product. Okay. Um, but product on some level kind of worked, you know, mm-hmm. and we started sort of selling these to friends and, and my, my brother helped me out um, a little bit and we put them in a couple of little boutiques in Wellington and, you know, there was, was definitely the sense that there was something interesting. And and weirdly, my teammates who had no shortage of free stuff actually started to connect to it a little bit. Wow. And it was one guy in particular, Paul, Paul Eiffel, who, you know, who was like the top player on the team and he just would come and I always charged. I never gave anything to free. <laughs> Even and, though they get free shoes from everyone. Yeah, I was like, and, uh, he, he, you know, I've, I've actually, um, we've talked about this subsequently, he just supported it. And, and we just kept going but look we literally you know worked on this you know for 2007 8 9 like years and years and years and mm-hmm. like hundreds of versions before we ordered you know the first 1000 pairs so this is like not happening quickly yeah oh it was it was years of years of uh revised samples and tweaking yeah so Jamie joined us i mean he was up in Auckland and he helped out a little bit and then Pretty early on, we realized that, hey, the design thing was, was one thing, but mm-hmm. combined with the idea of using wool or an alternative material, like yep. would supercharge this, it would be, because what I found is like the design design thing was a great starting point mm-hmm. and then people would kind of forget about it. But if you combine the design thing with this use of materials and in New Zealand, um, lots of sheep and so this idea of wool uh-huh. um, and the idea became incredibly sticky and I opened up kind of this enormous white space in hindsight an mm-hmm. innovation opportunity that um really made the, started to make the project that much harder but that much more interesting and and then and we kind of got to work and we just chipped away at it and i want to say there's 50 60 100 variations all i was just about to ask you that so between the you think like you've sampled like 50 to 60 rounds i mean we still sell that one shoe that's still our yeah. uh, the wool runner and it's probably no, it's well north of 200 now um of that one shoe oh wow just tweaks just tweaks Damn. um but you know, multiple factories, different versions of the material. We just—it's just, it's just re- relentlessly trying to get that thing right, and uh-huh. it hasn't stopped now. Like mm-hmm. even since we launched Orbird, so Orbird's launched in 2016. You know, there's probably another 30 or 40 changes to that product since we started. It's just like pursuit of this form, which yeah. kind of is not usually how the the, the rest of the industry I've come to learn operates. Mm-hmm. So it's a little uh, people people get they laugh when they hear that. Yeah. It's not every day we get former professional athletes turned CEOs on the show. We hear about these amazing people from time to time, like Magic Johnson or Shaq or Michael Jordan, where being an athlete is really only the first chapter in their already amazing lives. But after they finish that chapter, they're left wondering, now what? You can either blow through the money you've amassed and sit in a lazy boy signing autographs till the end of your life, or 
you can try and build another career with a new chapter. It may sound simple, but these success stories are not very common. And oftentimes, athletes put their fortunes at risk by pursuing the next venture. Now, I want you to imagine your life in Tim's shoes. You've been playing professional soccer your entire life at the highest levels. And as you're traveling the world, playing in the World Cup, and busy being the captain of your team, you have this faint idea in the back of your mind. It's actually rather annoying, maybe, because you're busy. You need to focus on your job, and you don't really have time for this. But it's all you can think about. I know that I'm not only talking about Tim here, but I'm also quite possibly talking about you. This is many of us today. We are so honed in on this one job that we have. It's hard to look past the nine to five, but nevertheless, we keep dreaming of the other thing that we could be doing. And maybe the dreaming starts to look more and more like it could actually become a reality. Tim did exactly what many of us are afraid to do. He scratched that itch. What started from a simple question of how can I make the perfect shoe became him drawing sketching, searching for factories during his off-seasons, and using his network to build his customer base. This proactive risk-taking action reminds me a lot of our previous guest, the artist CJ Hendry, who said she was all action, no thinking. Tim says something very similar. Rather than seeking approval and affirmation for his ideas, he just began doing them. What all started with a simple question and a quest would wind up becoming an empire. How? By scratching the itch. Maybe you should answer the question that Tim asked himself. If you can't find it, could you create it? Um, for those who don't know, though, explain, besides the fact that there's a lot of sheep in New Zealand, why wool? Uh, you know, well, it's, it's, it's a little part of it. So, I, I had the first initial designs. I'm still playing football. I'm trying to get to a World Cup, so I'm head down doing that. And then I realized that there's an opportunity both in the foot in the industry broadly to use different materials. So um, I was reading a magazine one day in Wellington in my apartment, and it was all about the wool industry struggling. So in New Zealand, you know, it, there used to be like 80 million sheep in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And now there's less than 25 million, and no one's growing up wanting to be a sheep farmer. Mm-hmm. So they were crying out for innovation and new ideas. So yeah. Wrote this grant um, with the help of another friend, and um, uh, basically to try and make a material that could make shoes out of wool. Okay, and it was successful. And I was playing football; I had no reason getting that grant. And mm-hmm. I've subsequently learned it's more because the wool industry was struggling so much. Yeah. Um, well, you again, you found a white space opportunity, and you're like, "Let's get that." <laughs> and, Smart. And so um, the idea that wool had these like incredible properties; it was really soft. Um, the idea that maybe you could wear the shoes without socks and that the properties of wool would make that experience amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also had a design feel and texture, this premium quality that I just thought would create an experience that was really differentiated. Yep. And so combining the design uh, pillar with this idea of a differentiated experience was my sense was that that, that might be an opportunity to, to be memorable. Yeah. I mean, most footwear companies might make one wool shoe a year out of like thousands. Did anyone say, like, you're going to make your whole thing about wool? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So I, I retire from sport. I go to, I, I want to go back to London. I want to go to business school, in, in part fueled by 
this emerging idea of actually taking this product and turning it into a business mm-hmm. and uh, um, also partly just to gracefully exit sport yeah. and feeling like I'd taken it as far as I, I could. So what are we, five years in, I retire, I show up in London in 2012. I've at this stage ordered and made a thousand pairs of shoes, give or take, that I'd sold to my teammates and some are still in my parents' garage. And I've got this wool material for use in footwear and... And I, I rock up at business school and I, I take this one class. And, you know, there's, there's so many twists and turns to this story, but I take this one class with a professor and, and you have to pitch a, a business idea uh-huh. at the beginning of the class. And um, the professor's name is Carter Cast. He really just amazing guy. And I pitch this idea and it gets accepted by the class. There's like 10 business ideas and they form oh. five, t- you know, 10, five people for each, each idea. Right. That, that are going to group with you and work on this yep. project now. And so I pitch wool shoes and I pitch, I have like 90 seconds to pitch it uh, to a whole bunch of smart guys. And mm-hmm. I'm a soccer player who's finding my feet pretty intimidated by the whole environment at that yeah. point. And, um, and it, I sometimes think like if, if you mess that up, this whole thing doesn't happen. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I find myself with like four really smart guys at business school. Wow. Starting to, for the first time, imagine this beyond a product. Um, you must have had a sick pitch. Because <laughs> honestly, wool shoes in the era of Instagram, Uber, you know, like wool shoes. I know. I, <laughs> you yeah. must have been very convincing. Maybe, maybe. Um, but anyway, so I go, I go through these 10 weeks and I've, I've started to make the first pair of wool shoes. Mm-hmm. And th- these things look, I mean, they're awful. I've actually, you know, got photos of them. Yeah. I have some of the original ones in a display case because I've, I've come to be quite proud of the fact that that's <laughs> where we started. Yeah, 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 for sure. But in some ways, we started again and mm-hmm. we started to work on this. And um, Oh, okay. You you count that as like the 2.0 now. You're like it's like a new thing now. Yeah, it's the same fundamental design, mm-hmm. but we now you're now bringing another variable in play. Like you're not you're not going to use with known materials, you're going to use a natural fiber that's not traditionally used in footwear. So yeah. that opens up a whole other world of complexity. Mm-hmm. Like um and so but we you know we keep chipping away, chipping away and eventually I get to the end of this class and um this professor calls me in at the end of the class and uh, he goes I just want to let you know, I wanted to tell this to your face. This is a very bad business idea. <laughs> and I want to tell you to your face. This is not going to work. And uh, But for whatever reason, of everyone in this class, you seem more committed to the ideas that people are working on than anyone else. And I, I, I worry about you. Uh-huh. I worry that you're going to work on this and... Um, and you know, so what you should do is throw it out on Kickstarter or something so it can fail, mm-hmm. and so you and then you can get on with the rest of your, <laughs> life, your life. Yeah, because otherwise, I fear you'll just be chipping away at this for a long time, and it'll cause yourself more pain than than unnecessary. So, that must have been horrific to hear. You know, it's it was. Yeah, there's no other way to say it. But it, it's it's interesting. I and I don't know if it's it's, it's like this for you know in in your life through your career but sometimes the people that are prepared to go out of their way to be that honest with you do it from a place of deep care Mm -hmm. and you've got two opportunities you can say he's wrong he doesn't know what he's talking about or you can lean into it and embrace it and that's what i did so i went home for christmas um my brother's friend, we paid like $700, um, shot a video on a, on a friend's farm in Pahatanui, which is about 40 minutes north of, of Wellington, mm-hmm. um, and we shot a Kickstarter video. And I think we had six pairs of the wool shoes that have, you know, we've probably been through another 30 or 40 iterations with Jamie's help. Yeah. Jamie's still, I, mean, I think he's volunteering at this point, but he's still, he's trying to help us. And um, 
and we you know we decide to take this out into the world so it can, so it can fail. Uh-huh. Um, yep. and, and you're like, let's just just do it. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's just throw the dice. I'm starting to look for you know for other jobs at this uh-huh. point, realizing that whatever whatever I do, I'm going to be ten years behind everyone else. The, the, my risk profile, you know, I've spent all this time working on it. Um, why not? Mm-hmm. And so I come back. So I shoot that video January 2014. I come back in March of 2014, and I'm literally polishing my resume. And I decide to throw it, throw it up, and throw it up and Kickstarter, and um, and it it just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the the outcome of the Kickstarter? What were, what was your goal? Um, I think it was thirty thousand uh-huh. dollars. Um, I had enough material at this point for a thousand pairs of shoes, and um, we sold a hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of shoes in four days, and I had to switch it off because my phone just went crazy. Whoa! Did you tell the professor? I mean, <laughs> it's funny. He's he's now. Uh, this is the way these things always go. He's like a great friend. He's uh-huh. like an investor in the company, and it's just you know he, he cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, and it was petrifying. And I remember sitting. I was back in London at this point where I was living after. Uh, I think I was just graduating or trying to graduate. And my phone was just going crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, got to go do this now. That's so sick. <laughs> what redemption? <laughs> yeah, I will. The other thing, I, and I've told the story before, but um, like I remember being out for dinner with like my girlfriend, now my wife mm-hmm. in London, and then you're going around the table, and everyone's talking about you know their careers, and it's they're in the like early 30s, just starting to work it all out, and they're flying, and it's all yep. going well, and then we get around the table, and I'd be like, hey Tim, what are you working on? And I'd be like. Wool shoes, and I just like squeak it out, and I was yeah, remember it being yeah. super embarrassing. I was mm-hmm. like embarrassed. I didn't. I really was lost, and and yeah. um, you know, shoes are crazy hard to make. Making shoes out of materials that have never been used before it was crazy. I didn't have any funding, so I was kind of spending my savings from from the World Cup at, the, at this point. And and then most importantly, and this plays to the, to some of the other stuff we should talk about. I didn't really have a reason why. And my dad had started calling me a cobbler, and it used to really. <laughs> like I'd be like stop it but as much as I appreciated shoes I, I didn't grow up with a thousand pairs of shoes in my cupboard this wasn't like my dream to one day do this I right. found myself pursuing this thing this curiosity problem yeah. and I had been doing it now for five or six years and mm-hmm. I didn't really know why mm-hmm. and it was sort of it's the, str- the struggle of trying to like bring something into existence and, and not really being sure if it's worth it does the world need another pair of shoes mm-hmm I'm trying to figure out how you persevered through everyone telling you like you've kind of gone mad. Like your professor was like, I think your your head's a little <laughs> tweaked right now and you're gonna go you're gonna get depressed. Like this is a problem. How did you just I mean it's it's really easy to twenty twenty hindsight say like, yeah, I was on some innovative shit. Y'all didn't know what you had in front of you. I'm a genius. Haha. But back then you must have been second guessing yourself even like you said at the dinner table it was embarrassing for you to say I'm doing wool shoes. Yeah, I it's I don't know, man. It's that that's the that's the particular tweak or weirdness about about me where you you know where you're sort of empowered by the idea that that someone's telling you you can't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you were I'm, possessed. I I'm like a, literally like you were voodoo possessed. You know, there was the, I'm, I maybe there's a lot of stuff that was hugely enjoyable. You know, this challenge of like making something and trying to yeah. solve like it's. Anyone's yeah, yeah, done yeah. that, like, you know, you've built yep. your whole thing. There's something about that. I think that. it's the process. Like, even the failures, you're good. It's fun. The whole thing is fun. Yeah, and it, but it's it's a love-hate, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of days that you're doubting yourself, mm-hmm. but if you can channel that, it, it forces you. And, 
And then you, you know, it's, I had my family and people going, kind of making fun of you. Like, what's the worst that can, you know, you've gone this far, why don't you go a little <laughs> bit a little bit further? And it'd been the same in my sporting career. You know, I uh-huh. tried to give up a few times and, and uh, you know, what what if? Yeah, yeah. What if, like, don't don't quit now, this is about to get good. And so I had that pattern recognition a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the professional athletic career helped with the, the sort of like obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds bad, but yeah, right. I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, there's just, desire to try and solve this problem for no other reason than, than yourself and yeah and and so this kickstarter was was yep. was, a, was a strong point of validation and then you know and then i'm and then i meet joey and it's a, it's a game it's a game changer for me in terms of the other half of this idea that was going to take it from a from a product and material insight yeah. into sort of a purpose and a business so i want to noodle in on this specific time because a lot of kickstarters go crazy get funded and still fail was it smooth sailing after you got the funding? No, it was brutal. It was absolutely <laughs> brutal. It was literally the hardest year. Oh my god! Yeah. Why? And I, well, because the, the the shoes were all you know all over all over the customers all over the world. Mm-hmm. You kind of like promised. Yep. And now you got to deliver. Now you need a customer service person just yeah. to <laughs> like field all the emails. Yeah, and you tr- you know making shoes is making anything is difficult. Mm-hmm. Making shoes is extraordinarily difficult, and doing it with these this material that was essentially an invention was was kind of madness in hindsight and you know that they ended up making some of the shoe sizes wrong i had a finite amount of material so there's no way that i could like make any more i had a couple of young guys helping me in in london but um mm-hmm. you know it, it was just but we just just ground it out yeah and it wasn't perfect but it was it was you finished it <laughs> we finished it and yeah, we got it out slid in like <laughs> yeah and it wasn't i mean the product was not as good as it should have been or could have been, but I think everyone sort of appreciated sort of what that what that vehicle is. It's yeah. an idea, and I and I think um, I did everything I could to to sort of get that out. And Joey hadn't come into the picture yet. He was a customer. Oh, okay. Joey's one of the first uh, the first customers in based in San Francisco, and, and we knew each other. We'd, we'd met each other at, mm-hmm. at weddings and, and and different stuff, um, but never in any sort of never talked about this yeah. really. Um, and so he he was an early customer, actually a particularly difficult one. He complained about the fit and stuff. I specifically remember, um, which if you know him now, he was a dissatisfied. Yeah, he customer. was. Yeah, yeah, I think I turned him. But um, <laughs> and so you know, I was kind of got through the end of this year, and I'm like, wow, this is too hard. I don't know if we can take this further. And and Lindsay was like, hey, you, you know, you should chat with Joey. And I actually got a, an investment offer, which subsequently ended up being a bad one. And, and I put it in front of Joey for mm-hmm. some guidance before you signed it. Yeah. Okay. And he and he. Oh, okay, you were just picking his brain. Yeah. Okay. And and he was like, dude, this is a bad deal. Don't touch this. And he went out of his way, incredibly generously. You know, when your friend asks you, it's like, hey, dude, have you got two minutes to look at this loan? Mm-hmm. And you're like, no one's got time to do that. He just was relentless and gave this full analysis, and we spoke for forty minutes on the phone, and and um, and then at the, at the end of it, um, you know, we kind of said, said goodbye, or whatever. He called me back in a week, and he was like, "I've really been thinking about it. What if we did this together? Just like out of the blue. Mm-hmm. You should first of all, you should not take this deal. It's a bad deal. But what if we did this together? And furthermore, like my my family's out of town this weekend. Why don't you fly to San Francisco and let's kind of." meet each other yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah and talk about it and do you want to come and so i literally was where were you at the time i was in london so oh, okay I, yeah. wow <laughs> okay we've finished finished business school at this point i'm starting to think like do i do this do i go get another job i mm-hmm. started to 
you know, go in that direction. And oh, even after the six-figure Kickstarter, you you were maybe like, I'm going to get hard. a job. It's just too hard, man. Whoa, okay. Way too hard. Way, way, way too hard. It's just... Hey, can I can we uh, zoom in on the um, the bad deal? Just so what what constitutes some things that make a deal bad? Um, Australians. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, oh, Spoken like a true Kiwi. <laughs> no, it's, it's, that's, it's, I'm half joking. No, it was it was just the idea that um, I'd I'd uh, I'd had this um, interest during the Kickstarter from this big fashion brand in New York called Theory. Mm-hmm. And I'd flown out there and kind of met some different folks in the context of it. And I think everyone in hindsight had connected with the the design and material possibility. I think they'd looked at this enormous footwear category that's top heavy in a lot of ways in terms of the brands that have been successful that are, are sort of mono-materialistic. They tend yep. to make it out of sort of cheap synthetics. So this, mm-hmm. this felt different. Yep. And, you know, I'm investing in hundreds of ideas and here's, you know, little chunk of change for a huge chunk of the idea and it's not enough money and Mm. i'm not really going to help you and what you think and so in 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 some ways it was it was a compliment but when you actually looked into the specifics it was sort of a a little bit of a road to nowhere which is without joey though would you have possibly maybe signed that deal you know i was at the stage where i kind of i was done and so right you know and i just i'd taken this thing as far as i could and joey's guidance was hugely important important and and probably the reason that I turned it down but I, I don't think I connected it with the idea I was going to do it in a different way mm. but maybe that's maybe that's just my mind playing tricks in hindsight but you were maybe just trying to like cut your losses at that point like I'm going to get a check out of this and then I'll be good well but it wasn't even a check there was a it was just a it was a, a small amount of capital to keep going with the idea and, oh and so it was and, like funding the business yeah that's it. that was it and so this wasn't and you were going to lose majority of the company yeah and 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 I don't even think it was about me it was about the idea and it was all just a little hazy and but then you know you, you meet um, you know I spent this weekend I flew to San Francisco on a whim yeah I uh, spent two days literally with, with Joey we mm-hmm. got pretty boozed <laughs> and just talked about life and 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 I, and I met this guy who's just this force of nature who had committed his career I mean he's you know engineer Wharton MBA committed his career to sustainable materials and had this clear vision. Like the clearest vision, in, in, in many, in the same way that I had the clear vision for the design of the product, this mm-hmm. clear vision for the way that the world was going to change, mm. and that there was going to be this revolution in sustain in sustainability, and that we're going to need to find better ways to make stuff, or mm. or the world was going to end basically. And yeah. um, it was and just, yeah. and it was just, it was incredible. And I like to sort of say, it was it was the moment when this all kind of made sense. Yeah. It's like okay, this is why we're going to do this. So he, it's almost like you started the sentence, but you needed him to finish your sentence. But at the same token, he couldn't start the sentence. Like you, you compliment him like crazy. Like he came and just changed the whole thing, but he didn't go to Indonesia and try to sample shoes a thousand times either. No, he, no, cause he's smart. He would have written a business plan and he would have, you know, he, he would have. <laughs> it takes a little bit of that <laughs> audacity. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to say, except it was. It was the right time, at the, mm-hmm. at the you know the right guy at the right time, and you kind of your heart's open to it, and you yeah. you know you're trying to work out why, and and then you meet this guy that's got this vision that's very different, but in some ways similar, and, and we came together, and um, so I flew back from San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I said to my girlfriend now wife who fallen in love with London, just loved London. She was yeah. from New York, but she's like, this is, hey, um, what if we move to San Francisco? I think we've got to we've got to we've got to do this, right? And she didn't hesitate. Let's do it. Oh yeah, and um, and so within a few months, 
fast forward through some green card immigration challenges <laughs> that were not insignificant uh, and the relocation of her job uh-huh. August 2015 where we're in um, working out of Joey Joey's mother-in-law's place in San Rafael just outside of San Francisco just him and I and his dog Walter and he's quit his really successful executive job to take a huge risk as well so. wow so he was all in right from the get uh yeah I I mean maybe he quit that's his job <laughs> he quit his job and and you know and we we sort of we wrote a, a, a business plan together mm-hmm. and really imagined like what this thing could be and maybe even more importantly like why it should be okay and we talked about largely over that weekend a, a business that we tell our grandkids about that was going to be about a product and a product idea but also a way of making things that we hoped could be part of showing a, a different a different pathway for the footwear industry mm-hmm. which sounds wildly well, over, yeah. overconfident yeah, yeah. yeah but i you know i i think joey was bringing to it an enormous level of expertise and research and understanding of sort of the sector and the space and the materials and and so you know we started decided to go for it and we went out and, and raised a little bit of money mm-hmm. um and and decided to take a big big swing What I find most inspiring about Tim's approach to his business is his determination. There are a number of obstacles he had to overcome, from creating one perfect shoe from wool, to being undermined by his peers, to eventually battling his own doubts of why he's even doing this. Tim brings up an important topic that many creators struggle with, and that's purpose. After years of research, a master's degree, and a successful Kickstarter later, He was neck deep into this project and still, after all that, he was burdened by doubt. Questions like, does the world need another shoe? Or to being embarrassed about talking about his own business would all be totally valid reasons for him to stop this pursuit. And here's my two cents. When it comes to running a business, there is no single road to success. There's no such thing as smooth sailing. Everyone deals with it in their own way. The important thing to realize is that just because what you're going through isn't what the other person went through doesn't mean it's wrong. As hard as it is to start a business, it's just as difficult to keep it running and even more difficult to make it profitable. Remember, hindsight is always 2020. Even with these obstacles, Tim tells us he was empowered by the challenge. For him, the failures, the success, all of it, it was a love-hate relationship. And that's exactly how business is. When the going gets rough, when people tell you no, when your own self is your biggest enemy, are you strong enough to resist all that and keep fighting? Are you ready to take on the challenge and get past that crippling doubt? If you are, then that's already half the battle. When you were in London, before you moved to SF, did you and Joey make a deal? Yeah, we very, very like, quickly. It was okay. like a handshake thing. Okay. That was done over email mm-hmm. um, and was... You felt was fair. Yeah, it was... I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of one of those ones I feel like if it had been a long thing, it would never have worked. Yeah, right. And it was a quick thing and uh, whether it was exactly right is hard to say, but it was... 
mm-hmm. completely it obviously worked out <laughs> completely right and right. i and i you know i found a you know i found a partner and, and um which and you it, needed at that and time and it, cha- yeah. it changed everything yeah when you went to sf now and you're sitting there with like him and the dog and you're working out these nights was there ever a point along the way where you're like what did i do oh yeah on a daily basis <laughs> really totally yeah totally and I'm sure he was the same. And <laughs> right. you know, you you not only you're trying to build this thing, and we we literally had to tear up the whole supply chain, start again, and we we made this really aggressive goal. So we kind of came together in August, no factory at this point. Wow. Um, and we we're going to launch on the first of March with uh-huh. with one shoe, mm-hmm. this this wool shoe. Yeah, we'd found a new material maker at this time. It was Italian. Uh, crafted material normally made into fine suits for Tom Ford and Armani and Gucci. We found like beautiful material. So mm-hmm. there were, like all the years hadn't been wasted. There was a lot of pieces in play, but we started to build this thing literally from scratch. And he's with a young family at the time, twins. Yeah. You know, just enormous, enormous pressure. Um, I just got to imagine like you did the Kickstarter thing. So you got one, you know, bullet under your belt, right? But here you are now, you've relocated you're putting in all this time and effort, you have no factory, and you're gonna come out with one shoe. I would imagine the, the critics were still there. There's still, look, what is, Nike's got 2,000 shoes. What are you gonna come out with one shoe? Even if it's a, a grand slam home run, so what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they're all good questions. And, and were people asking you those questions? Of course, yeah, of course. And you know, I, I, think, I think you go back and, and you've just gotta, you gotta believe. I think mm-hmm. if, you, if you're not listening to feedback, in the process of sort mm-hmm. of building something, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But it, if if you're not ignoring the vast majority of it, you're nuts too. Yeah. And you just got you've got to find. But that's life, right? You've got to filter through, you know, advice, yeah. and you've got to take cherry pick the bits that that make sense. Go with and your then gut. So, and yeah. sometimes you just got to go do something because you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, we'd raised a little bit of of of, of capital, and um, you know, so we we were. As far as I, I was concerned, we'd made such enormous strides yeah. in terms of where we were at. You got and other it, people to believe now. Yeah, yeah and more importantly, we had a reason why we're doing it. We're not just making a shoe. We're making a shoe because we're going to make a shoe in a better way. Mm-hmm. We we're going to do it differently. And if you don't get that, you're on the wrong side of, mm-hmm. you know, wrong Makes side sense. of history kind of. And, and, and that's not exactly true, but you've got to have that little chip on your shoulder to kind of. Yeah, get you through it. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it was kind of a moment of real clarity of like mm-hmm. blue skies. I've got this this incredibly smart capable partner and we're like we're doing this thing together and and we're going to have a big swing we want to get it right yeah we're gonna have a big swing and so uh the name all birds was born at this point Mm -hmm. to kind of be the the wrapper for for this idea and what it stood for and we just we just went to work who thought of the name um it was actually you know it was a, a, a kiwi friend of of ours that um made the point that uh when people first came to new zealand there was nothing there but birds, so it was a little nod to the idea of both of of where where, where the, the thing had started, um, but also it's not all just birds anymore in New Zealand. Like when the birds are okay, the environment tends to be okay, and yeah. so it was without sort of hammering anyone over the head. It, mm-hmm. it was a, a little nod to to this larger environmental sustainable sort of mission that we we're on. And I remember coming back and, and telling Linz about it. She goes, "Okay, so this makes no sense. You're going to uh, make shoes out of wool." Uh-huh. That are called the wool runners that are not for running, and you're going to name your company All Birds. It just makes zero sense, and I don't even like birds. And it was one of those ones I just I knew at that point. <laughs> this is a bad thing to say, but I knew we we're on the right track because it just was so counterintuitive and weird. And 
<laughs> flight of the Concords and and so we we went with it. And uh, she's like, "You don't mean all sheep." Right? <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> but it, look, it spoke to this idea, this yeah. juxtaposition of this very austere, simple utilitarian design approach mm-hmm. with this kind of abstract concept. And we made the we made the rule there that birds weren't going to really feature in the brand. This was going to be an idea that we were going to yeah. propagate. And um, and it was good. And we just and what I found is that not everyone liked the name, but they remembered it. Like yep. even weeks after they'd come back and be like, all birds, whatever, you know, yeah. what did you choose? And even if you hate it, you're still remembering that. And the stickiness of it yeah, is yeah. a big lesson. Yep. Even through the creation of the product mm-hmm. and subsequently with the name, the stickiness is super important. Yeah. But and we, and we chose it. And then um, I remember at one point someone goes, you do realize that all birds means kilos of cocaine on the street. And it's like lyric from like a Rick Ross song. And I'd never, <laughs> and uh, I didn't even know that one. I wow! And I was like, "Oh man, this is bad." I remember you know, Joey and I chatting, and we were like, "Nah, it's awesome. Let's just <laughs> <Yeah>. keep it." <laughs> anyway, so we we chose it, and, and that's uh, and that's been that's been the name. Um, if I'm not mistaken, to this day, you don't really do wholesale, right? Never have. So that's that's an important. Never really have. Was um, that a day one decision? Yeah, I mean, I think what we we realized is that almost wholesale touches almost. All of the entire footwear industry, and yeah, they kind of exactly. they dictate the terms a little bit. They yep. sort of they want you to produce a range. You know, they would have laughed at the you idea of one shoe. Yeah. yeah, the lead times when you need samples mm-hmm. for the wholesaler, and then you're not really selling to the customer. You're, you're selling, selling to, to the buyer. Buyer, buyer. Yeah. and then you know you, you're losing the margin, which is a you know often told narrative certainly recently across categories. But we we, we wanted to use these incredibly premium materials, mm-hmm. and so the idea of being able to have the margin room to really invest in them. Yeah, you know. Um, in hindsight, actually created this sort of competitive moat for us because mm-hmm. uh, when you're playing in the wholesale game, you can't you can't use the types of materials that we're using because yeah. you just don't have the margin room to sell those in Foot Locker. Right. So that became, you know, uh, the business model sort of fitted in to support the purpose and the mission and the product. Got it. Um, but it definitely was, you know, we, we tapped into this movement, you know, of, of brands that were kind of cutting out the middleman to sell direct. And, mm-hmm. and I think that was certainly a, not the story, but a part of the story. Yeah. What was that first production run after you had formed the partnership with Joey? Um, you know, I, I think we made ten thousand pairs. Okay, so you went from like a thousand to like ten thousand. Ten thousand pairs, and um, and again, I remember people sort of questioning that that was a little bit crazy. And um, mm-hmm. but we launched the business on the first of March, twenty sixteen. I think we had four other employees, maybe six in total. We moved into a little office in San Francisco at this point, and we um, we press press go on allbirds dot com in America and New Zealand, and. And you know we, we just never looked back. <laughs> Seriously, that's been that was a heavy swing. It was a big swing. Did the ten thousand vaporize? We were going through the first, you know, inside the first two years to sell a million pairs, and um, that was the business plan. No, the the business plan was a fraction of that. that oh, he, really? And so this thing could R- just wait, 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 wait. Say that again. You sold a million pairs through the first inside the first two years. Oh, you weren't aiming to. You actually oh, no. sold a million. Yeah. What that, was the business plan? I say? don't know, but well, 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 less than that. <laughs> it just, it just, this thing just took on a, a life of its own. Oh. It just became. And for those listening, usually it's the other way around. Usually the business plan says we're going to sell a million, and then they're like, "Oh, we sold a hundred thousand, but you know there was like a war in China and it fucked us up." And it's like, no, but you went the other way on the business plan. This thing just took, just caught fire, and um, you know, it was it was it was an incredible period where. You know, it, it just, it just, it's just so, sort of went crazy. And, uh, you know, we, we just scrambled to try and keep up. Yeah. We, at this, when you sold a million in the first year, were you just pinching yourself? 
Yeah, I mean... How'd you feel? Redeemed or like... I just sort of, you know, I think on some level you never think it's going to happen. On on another level, that wasn't what you... You you got into this because you wanted to perfect the product and you know that the product's not quite right yet. Uh And... You know, through you know this this purpose and this mission that was so core to sort of Joey's whole career, we knew that we were only just beginning to understand how we did that. And so I don't. Neither of us were really celebrating at all. Really, I know that sounds crazy. You just get close to something, uh-huh. and that's probably a weakness as much as a, it is a strength. But we were just, we we just, and even now, you know, um, fast forward four years, we we have a our, our fourth birthday coming coming up in a little bit and mm-hmm. we've got 500 employees you know more than that now and um I, you know you still don't think that you're anywhere near where you need to be and and so in, the, in that sense it hasn't changed from when it was just joey and i yeah can you say how many pairs you're moving now no we, we no we, <laughs> we we just keeping our head down yeah but um but the business has, has has come a long way and um you know it started in america and, and new zealand and we've added Australia and Canada online, and and then retail started to become this yeah. hugely interesting thing. And we added a, a a store underneath our offices in San Francisco, and and uh, and now orders a flagship effectively in Soho. And we mm-hmm. have. Um, Why did you decide to go brick and mortar? It seems like it's a sort of backwards decision. Yeah, and um, on paper it seems like on, that. on paper, yeah. Which was the assumption is that you're selling shoes online. That's not what you're doing. You're selling shoes to your customer. And so the idea of retail being a place where people wanted to meet you was, was something we understood, I think, from the beginning. People mm-hmm. have always had a, you know, a childhood memory of trying on shoes, and that yeah. was—I don't think that's ever going to change. They've mm-hmm. always, they—they've—they um, you know, know you sit down with that yep. metal thing that no one knows yeah. the name of, <laughs> yeah, and try your shoes on, and and so everyone kind of wants to do that. And so we, our first office in San Francisco, um, they had this ordinance where basically they were they mandated that you had to have retail because the tech community was coming into san francisco in Uh such a wave and graying out the windows of these shop spaces they basically sort of said if you take this retail you have to have a a shop right so it doesn't look like crap on this ground yeah yeah which was a hugely interesting thing in and of itself so we we built our first store really pretty early on underneath our first office i think we spent like six thousand dollars building this out with like a local kind of contractor and we started working it in ourselves and so it was and it just became this amazing thing. Yeah. That is still like probably now one of the most exciting aspects of our business. And that's, it was a, a small store on the, on the back, back alley in, in, in San Francisco and, and then in New York. And we just, man, we, we just found that there was such an opportunity to learn and you put your product there and you get feedback straight mm-hmm. away and we'd work in it and people would tell you what was good and what wasn't. And so if, you know, as Joey and I were like just addicted to this idea of improving and getting a little bit better. Yeah. And that's this, really the feedback. That's just the feedback. The feedback, yeah. you know. And so it's 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 it became just incredible. How many and, stores now? Um, I think there's seventeen now. Yeah, four in uh, China, one in Auckland, uh, London, Berlin, um, and then a b- bunch of different places in in the states. Um, My office is actually above the Allbirds one in Soho. <laughs> that's crazy. And it's I have to say, first of all, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but it's never empty like it is always packed with people and it has a real like community vibe where people like they're not sh- transacting they're like hanging out in there it's kind of weird because it's not like you have you know i had a retail store and i had lifestyle items like i had drinks and magazines and art and like so i gave things for people to do you're a shoe store but people still like to hang out there <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, first of all, that's a nice. That's uh, appreciate that. Um, I mean, on on the surface, what we're doing is quite simple. You know, you're making one one shoe. We've got a few more now, but not that many, relatively mm-hmm. yeah, speaking. Totally. Very few styles. But the materials and the material science behind it is extraordinarily complex and deep. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea, one of the things we found in retailers that people could come there, they want to know the provenance of the things that they're wearing mm-hmm. and buying. Yes. Deeply. Yep. And like, so they don't just want to. Oh, this is cool. It's like this is cool, but why and mm-hmm. what and where and yeah and why this and why and not not that and and so that lingering I would like to think or, or hope is is about that and that flows into to the idea that if you're gonna you know you couldn't just have retail and build a store and hire a bunch of folks and sort of leave them to it you you really needed to educate you needed to attract great people mm-hmm. yeah and it's still today one of the, the most interesting things about retail which let's be honest like so many people are called for you know called already the death of retail mm-hmm. that there's this enormous opportunity you know to innovate um you know not just with the store design or the layout or the location but actually with the, the folks and the and the people that are working yeah for the whole you. experience yeah and if you you know c- can you make this great it's if it's great it's it's only going to be because the person that works there is great and that's mm-hmm. one of those things we've tried really really hard to do and it's super it's super exciting Have you ever spent so much time on a single thing that when you've asked for feedback, it's not the good news you were expecting? We've all felt that way at one point or another. And now imagine hundreds of variations of that, and you get an idea of Tim starting Allbirds. He spent the entire past decade solely dedicated to perfecting one prototype shoe made from one material. And keep in mind, he raised the stakes with an even more difficult challenge of making sure that one shoe is sustainable. When you're that honed in, it can be so difficult to step away and ask for honest feedback. It's pretty much human nature to have a disdain for criticism because as we all know, every part of us wants some type of positive feedback. But for Tim and his relentless pursuit of perfection, his penchant for feedback was the secret to his success. For example, the Allbirds brick and mortar stores. He had a global vision for brick-and-mortar retail during a time when, quote-unquote, retail was dying. Probably not the advised route, but Tim passionately talks about these stores as opportunities to learn, get feedback, and improve. More often than not, the most convoluted ideas are also the simplest. Tim says it himself, on the surface, the idea is simple, create one shoe. But within that one shoe is the most complex material stemming from an even more complex notion to help the environment. So rather than creating retail stores for the purpose of selling, his intention was to receive feedback and educate an audience. So now you know, what is now a 500-person company with stores worldwide, this all stemmed from one single prototype with an intentional purpose. For Tim, it's always about finding these opportunities to grow, no matter where they might lie. Well, this is a good segue into um, the next thing that I wanted to discuss, which is the sustainability aspect of all birds. And I think a lot of people, when they hear about sustainability and footwear, there's like a little bit of side eye and like suspicion, you know, like because a lot of brands in the past have used it to like greenwash essentially. And it's like, you know, that year's marketing campaign, like we're going to be green this year, you know, but you guys, it seems like you really live and breathe it. 
was that hard for the past couple of years to actually figure out what sustainability meant to you guys? Like, you know, the, the checklist of things that you had to go through in terms of like, what does it actually mean? Yeah. It's, and then the whole thing is hard. Yeah. Um, but I mean, let's be clear on a, on a few things, right? Like it's the reason we started it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason we started it was connected largely with Joey's subsequently has become mine sense that this was the problem of our generation. Like this wasn't like a little trend or a fad or like a little challenge to sort of like tick the box on. This was like, we need to work this out or we're not going to be around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is that just the fashion industry or footwear industry? No, absolutely not. Like this is the whole world and the way we live. And But footwear and fashion is one of the biggest culprits. 10%, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, 20 billion pairs of shoes a year made uh, on average and they're not made out of the nicest stuff um, and there's a lack of accountability both in terms of what they're made out of and how they're made yep. and you know this is fundamentally going to be about transport and energy and battery power and storage and construction sure absolutely but mm-hmm. the fashion industry has got a role in this and equally an opportunity I think to sort of show the rest of the world how this can be done to storytell our way out of it and so we got hugely interested in that idea and we sort of dove into it from the beginning and you know, it's as hard today as it as it was then. Although I think that there's there's been an awakening. I think that's underway with, with with on the customer level in terms of the importance of this. Yeah, which is why they're spending all the time in the stores and reading everything on the website. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I, th- I mean, I think even when we started three or four years ago, it was sort of we'd go to our manufacturers and say we wanted to do this, and the, and they'd sort of say well, that's crazy. No one's going to know. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to pay up three times for a sustainable material in the heel counter that no one's ever going to see? Yeah. And, you know, fast forward to now and like that whole tone has changed. So there's that. And then I, you know, I think um, early on we realized we got some great advice early on, uh, you know, from this experienced guy who'd been working in, in, in startups. He sort of said, people don't buy sustainable products, they buy great products. Mm-hmm. So we were really reticent to talk too much about what we were doing. Yeah. Because it's so complicated, mm-hmm. you know, and it's full of all this emotion and it's political and, Mm-hmm. And, and there's loopholes in it yeah, too. Yeah, like. and what is it objectively? And so we didn't. And um, and I think we were at a stage there probably that I would term or categorize as sort of empathy and enthusiasm. There was lots of people that were interested in it, mm-hmm. but it was it was kind of a nice to have. Yeah. And, and I think you know, fast forward three years now, I, I feel like the entire world has changed, mm-hmm. and we have shifted to a, an, a you know a, a chapter of activism and accountability. You mm-hmm. see what's happening in Europe with. Uh, some of these movements that are, you know, um, Extinction Rebellion that are kind of stopping tube trains and like, hey, you know, we've got to do more. Yeah. Um, it's less than 18 months ago when Greta uh, started protesting mm-hmm. on the steps of um, Parliament in Sweden, which is crazy. Yeah. And I think this whole conversation has shifted in an alarmingly positive way. Right. But it's you didn't set out to make the coolest, best green product. No, it, right. and it's still, it still is now. Yeah. I, the, the, the way out of this situation is not to start making sustainable products. Mm-hmm. It's to make great products sustainably. And our um, our definition has evolved now to um, the idea that a product can only be great if it's sustainable. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the truth. And, you know, and I think, I suspect if you disagree, you're going to be on the wrong side of history, mm-hmm. which is not to say that the topic's not complicated. Yeah. And so one of the things that we've started to realize in the last little while is that sustainability means 10 things to 10 different people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's about microplastics to one person and end of life and land quality and air quality and, um, you know, fair trade labor. 
yeah and you know recycled bio content and you know it's taken a long time to kind of unpackage that because all of those things are important and challenging mm-hmm. um, but I think you know we've arrived at a little bit of a point of view where I think we, we have some clarity over, over over what we should do and you know it doesn't make it easier but it is feels like a little bit of a, of a breakthrough for us recently yeah have uh, you lost any of the passion of from the day one that you started because now you said there's hundreds of employees so like things are delegated and stuff but like yeah i mean there's like anyone that's growing a business there's there's parts of it that are that are better and parts of it that are worse we have lots of folks now and that brings challenges and opportunities mm-hmm. um but i you know I, I i i think the clarity over why we're doing it has been really powerful yeah. and and the sense that this um you know this design philosophy and 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 our and our purpose kind of go together and that we have a real opportunity in a you know, in, in, in this big, big space is, it's, it's super exciting, man. So I feel, I feel more, more driven and I know Joey mm-hmm. does too than, than, than ever before in terms of what we're trying to build. And it's like you said, the world is really only starting to catch up now to, to the philosophy that you had started with. Yeah. I, I think people are turning around and going, okay, I get there's a problem. Like can't not open the newspaper and, and mm-hmm. understand. And they, they're going, but so what am I meant to do? Like stop buying stuff or right. go bare feet? Like what's what do you, you tell me what you want to do? Yeah, most people are like that. Like, and every single brand has got their own particular perspective and story on it, and that's a good thing, uh-huh. right? Like people are starting to care, but explain this to me like I'm a three year old. Yeah, because I just don't know, and I want to do the right thing mm-hmm. for the most part. Yep, I agree, and I align I'm aligned that there's a problem, but tell me what to do. And so that you know, we've been in in some ways trying to work that out, mm-hmm. and while never losing sight of the fact that we wanted to make great products and we wanted to make more product and there was this enormous footwear industry and that wasn't going to go away and yeah. so we believe that if you know we could make product that was appealing and and all the rest of it so how do you how do you reconcile those two kind of almost conflicting ideas and feelings right from the surface right now on the outside everything looks like it's swimmingly smooth it's all gravy right now like everything's going really well at all birds you guys are killing it stores are packed units are moving are there any challenges on the inside that you guys are going through and, and pain points that you want to share? Oh, sure, of course. I mean... What is the what is the most pressing things right now for you? Um, you know, people are taking big risks, in some cases moving their families from you know, around the country and around the world to kind of come and work for us. So that's an enormous pressure. And unless you're feeling that, you know, you... To build to, to sort of build up the team. Yeah, right? exactly. And Not and, everyone comes from San Francisco. And so they're taking big risks with their careers. So you want to... We want to really return that, and as leaders, Joey and I feel that burden. Um, we, we want to keep innovating, you know. So we've, we're still young. We've done some things with with a few different materials, with wool, with eucalyptus, with sugarcane. Um, but we've got we've got to keep going. We've got to be relentless because it's such a competitive category. So how yeah. do you keep getting better? Yeah, you said it's still small in terms of like the number of styles. How many footwear styles do you have now? Yeah, maybe half a dozen, seven. Right. And um, so how how do you continue to make them great? And and how do you meet New folks that haven't met you uh, before, and um, so that that's a challenge. And you know, fundamentally, coming back to the idea of purpose, like how do you actually make sense of this mm-hmm. of this complicated situation, and and do more right than you're doing wrong, and 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 uh, hopefully, um, you know, I, I feel like we're starting to work that last bit out, which is exciting. Yeah, if you could go back now and give yourself advice when you were just figuring it out, like sort of making sketches on your way to Indonesia after after a football game, what, what kind of advice would you give? Um, you know, be careful what you wish for. Building something is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And if you're going to do it, don't talk about it. Just get on with the process of actually, you know, making it happen. Yeah. And given that opportunity, it will, you know, it can bring great things mm-hmm. if you're prepared to take risks. And um, the only way you're able to take risks is if you have incredible people around you. So um, make sure you do because it's, yeah. it's a lonely road. And then point it towards something um, meaningful and important. And so in our particular case, find out the why. And I know that's a cliched thing, but, you know, I, I got to, to play professional soccer and that was a great thing, but it was only when I worked out playing for my country that it sort of supercharged that was what the that why. meant for me. Yeah. And similarly in footwear, you know, we're making shoes and then I meet Joey and, and you know, we decide that we're going to try and make them out of materials that are not used before and we're going to 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 focus you know uh, the purpose on on the on this idea of of sustainability and materials and without while never losing our sort of design philosophy and we haven't we haven't kind of looked back so you do it for a reason and yeah. um if it helps the planet so much the better <laughs> yeah yeah i mean not just to, the planet yeah. i just think it should it should stand for something more because i just think selfishly that's going to push you harder when when it, when inevitably whatever it is you do gets hard yeah cool all right man thank you so much thanks for coming down I really appreciate it thank you for having you me. got a flight to catch yeah <laughs> appreciate right. it Hey, thank you for listening to my inspiring sit-down chat with the founder of Allbirds, Tim Brown. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please do me a favor and leave a rating and comment to tell us what you think of this show. We now have over 550 reviews and a five-star rating. That is incredible. And also, if you have any friends interested in footwear or business, tell them about this episode. I think they're going to appreciate it. We occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Jeff Staple. Our associate producer is Christina Hong. And as always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. This episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic at the Sneaker Inc. headquarters in Los Angeles, California. The interludes were recorded during the stay in shelter policies to combat the spread of Corona. And so we do apologize for any subpar audio. We're doing the best we can to still bring you the stories that inspire. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is the Business of Hype on Hype Beast Radio.